my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Mark Moss Show, where we talk about the intersection of politics, finance, and technology. We're talking about the decentralized revolution that is changing the world right before our very eyes, if if you know what you're paying attention to. You should know what you're paying attention to, because it is going to be the biggest catalyst uh, that you'll see in your life. I mean, it is literally changing the world as we know it, and you can either uh, bury your head in the sand and not pay attention and uh, or you can you can pay attention, you can take advantage of it. I like to say that the ostrich can bury its head in the sand, but it can't stop it from being eaten. And so, um, as Ayn Rand would say, you can choose to ignore reality, but you cannot ignore the consequences of reality. So you might as well pay attention. Uh, it's pretty interesting. And so uh, I guess that's obviously you, which is why you're listening to me right now. So thanks for tuning in. I got a lot to cover uh, 
in the next hour uh, because there's so much that is happening in the world right now. And so we'll just go ahead and jump right into it. Um, one of the biggest pieces of news this week was this um, executive order, this executive action that was we we've been waiting on for the from the, from the White House. Um, and really, um, they, they finally put it out, and it was kind of uh, not a big deal. I dug in super deep into a previous segment. If you want to know more about that you can and you missed it, then you can check out the, uh, the podcast coming out this week. Uh, but uh, basically, Joe Biden signed this uh, first of its kind, they say, executive order on cryptocurrencies. And basically, it just said they, they directed federal agencies to coordinate their approach on the sector. And there was... Um, it didn't lay out anything specific to do, but rather things they wanted to go look at. And it just directed all these different federal agencies to start coordinating their efforts to start doing this. Um, and really, there were six areas uh, that they really wanted to focus on. There was, Like I said, there wasn't any new regulations, more just um, coordinate everybody to move forward. Um, and they said six key priorities for the administration were, one, protecting U.S. interests, um, two, protecting global financial stability. Three, preventing illicit uses. Four, promoting what they call responsible innovation. Uh, five, financial inclusion. And six, U.S. leadership. Um, and so that's that's the areas they want to focus on. I think uh, most of that is is just a bunch of word salad. Uh, doesn't really mean anything. Uh, I, I'm guessing we're going to see a lot more coming out of that. Uh, but you know the markets responded pretty well, and actually um, Bitcoin kind of bounced up on the news, and it's kind of sold off a little bit. Uh, but um, the market basically agrees with me that it wasn't a really really big deal. And I think at this t- at this point in time in the world right now, we have way bigger things to focus on, and maybe that's part of the reason why um, this this executive order just kind of fell on deaf ears, if you will. Um, and so, what are some of these much bigger things that we're talking about? Well, at the same time as this is coming out, we saw the same week we saw the United States government, the BLS, the Bureau of Labor Statistics put out the new inflation numbers, the CPI, that's the Consumer Price Index. Um, I like to call it the CP lie because it's all a lie. Um, And basically, they put out the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, and it says that inflation reached 7.9%, which is the highest prices in 40 years, or so they say. Well, (laughs) or so they say. Let's talk about that for a second. So, They said that uh, rising energy, uh, duh, (laughs) unless you've been living under a rock, you know, energy prices are going through the roof. Now, if you think they're high in the United States, where in Los Angeles, gas prices are up over $7 a gallon, um, that's nothing. You should see over in Europe, they have, uh, if if you convert into dollars, they have gas that's over $10 a gallon already. Um, But they have like natural gas is up over 1,000% up over 1,000%. So anyway, rising energy, of course, rising food and services pushed uh, prices past uh, the highest level we've seen in four decades, 7.9% annual um, rate. Now, what's interesting about this, though, is that it says uh, that this uh, CPI number hasn't been this high since it was 8.4% in January of 1982, and in January of 1982, a couple things that are interesting about that. 
So one, that's when the, when the nation was in a massive recession and it was trying to tame what had been double-digit inflation. So um, they had raised interest rates super high to bring inflation down. And so we were in this uh, strange uh, period when that was happening. Um, but what's more important about this is they use the CPI, Consumer Price Index, to measure this inflation. And so basically, uh, the, the, the quick version story of this, if you went to the grocery store and you bought a basket of goods, so you put your gallon of milk and you put your thing of cheese and you put your steak and you put your whatever, right? All the things that you would typically buy, that's a basket of goods. And then what you do is you track that same basket throughout a period of time. And then you see what the changes in the prices are to that basket of goods. Of course, there's things uh, more. There's more things in there than meat and cheese and, and steak. Um, but um, that's basically the way it works now. But the problem is that well, the problem for us with get, trying to get good data, not the problem for the government, is that they have changed the way they calculate that basket of goods. So there was a massive overhaul to that in the '80s. Then there was another massive overhaul to the CPI basket in the 90s. And so when we say that it hasn't been this high since 1982 when it was 8.4%, it's actually wrong. You could say it's misleading. I say it's a lie because we've changed that basket. So there's several ways that that's done. So for example, there's like a substitution. So because steak got so expensive, let's substitute the steak out and let's put hamburger meat there. Okay, well, hamburger meat's gotten too expensive, so let's put like soy protein there instead. So um, they say that the price hasn't really gone up much, but I'm eating pea sludge instead of steak like I used to. <laughs> so they've substituted out, so it's not tracking um, actual. That's one example. Another example would be like with homes. Home prices have gone up like crazy, obviously. Um, but the rents haven't gone up quite as high as the homes have. And so what they do is they use what's known as a, a homeowner's a rent equivalence. So it's not how much the price of the home went up. It's how much the renter thinks they could rent the house for. And they do that through a poll. They just ask people. Now, I don't know who they asked. They didn't ask me, but supposedly they ask homeowners. And it's up to them to tell them, which is kind of strange because they could just use uh, – national statistics, <laughs> and they could actually get real data, but of course they don't want to do that. Um, so for example, they say um, rent went up by like, uh, I think three and a half percent, but we know that in um, Gilbert, Arizona, it went up 108%. We know that uh, in a few states, a couple of states saw over 50% increase in rents. So where did they get up with a single digit inflation for rents? That's why I call it CP lie. Um, and if we look at, if we go back to the way they calculate, if we took the same basket of goods they calculated in 1980 and looked at it today, um, there's a company, there's a website you can go to called Shadow Stats, and they tell us what this is. Um, we're really over, I think, 16% inflation. Um, so if we go back, they say it hasn't been this high since in 1982. Well, if we use 1982 statistics, we're actually up over 16%. And so um, as inflation continues to rage higher, people are looking for inflation hedges. And of course, Bitcoin is one of those amazing inflation hedges. And the reason why is because there can never be more than 21 million. People want to get out of a money that continue increases, inflates, and go to something that doesn't, like gold has been that hedge for 5,000 years, which by the way, is breaking out to new all-time highs as well. 
as well as something like Bitcoin that has a fixed supply cap. Um, I have a lot more news I want to cover. I have a big, big, big article that really the death of the financial system as we know it is here, and we're moving into a new system over the last week that's happened. Um, I want to talk about uh, trust being lost and some Bitcoin price predictions when I come back. A lot to cover. You're listening to The Mark Moss Show, talking about the decentralized revolution, Bitcoin, politics, finance, etc. And I'll be right back with more Don't Go Away. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. All right, welcome back. You're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about the decentralized revolution. We're talking about the world changing right before our very eyes through the intersections of politics, finance, and technology. Those are the key drivers that are changing the world. If you're not paying attention to that, then you don't know what the heck is going on out there. Um, But of course, you are paying attention, which is why you're listening to me right now. Uh, So good job. Now, something that uh, I've talked about a lot um, over the last year or so, um, and actually, I I guess it was uh, towards the end of 2020, the IMF, the IMF is uh, sort of like the central bank above the central banks. Um, They called for a Bretton Woods 2 moment. Um, And so to understand what Bretton Woods 2 is, you have to understand what Bretton Woods 1 was, which happened in 1944. And the entire world got together and reset the global financial system. And they agreed to it. So the whole world kind of got together and agreed to this. And they went on to a new global monetary standard, which was the dollar. $35 was redeemable for one ounce of gold. And then all the currencies of the world were pegged to the U.S. dollar. And then um, I've been talking about the IMF calling for a Bretton Woods 2. But maybe we're actually going into Bretton Woods 3. Hmm, what does that mean? I hadn't actually thought of this until uh, just recently. uh, And I just recently made a video on my YouTube channel for it as well, if you haven't, uh, if you want to go digging deeper on that. But uh, basically, it was uh, kind of the idea came from the Credit Suisse manager. Um, His name is Zoltan Pazar. Um, He's somebody I've been paying attention to a lot. Um, He writes... uh, pretty in-depth and technical articles so I'll make I'll, I'll take it and make it easy for you to understand um, but he says that money quote money will never be the same again after the Ukraine war and he also says that Bitcoin may be the beneficiary of this he says that we're witnessing the birth of a new world monetary order those are big words those are real big words. Now, he's a former Federal Reserve and U.S. Treasury Department official. Okay, so he's worked on the inside, the inside of the belly of the beast, if you will. Now he works at Credit Suisse as a short-term rate strategist. Again, his name is Zoltan Pazar. Um, and uh, basically what he's saying is that um, the U.S. is in this commodity crisis that we're in right now. Commodities being you know real things, being energy, oil, gas, um, food, things like that. And it's giving rise to a new world monetary order that's going to ultimately weaken the current dollar-based system and lead to higher inflation in the West. So the West would be, you know, North America, Western Europe, etc. Now, 
He says, quote, the crisis is not like anything we've seen since President Richard Nixon took the U.S. dollar off the gold in 1971. So Bretton Woods, as I said, Bretton Woods 1 was in 1944, put the entire world onto a gold standard. In 1971, then President Richard Nixon removed the dollar from the, from the gold standard. So we were on a commodity-based money. Gold's a commodity. And so we were on a commodity-based money. And, and all of history was a commodity-based money, whether it was a, a rock, a feather, a, sh a seashell, or gold. It was, a, it was something real, something tangible, commodity. And it extended that commodity-based money from 1944, the Bretton Woods, until 1971. When Richard Nixon severed that tie in 1971, the entire world left a commodity-based system, left a dollar-based system, and went into something known as a fiat-based system, meaning that our money had no backing. It was no longer backed by gold or any other commodity. And it was, a, it was an era, 1971 till now, was an era of fake fiat currency, fake floating currencies that are pegged to nothing, and treasuries. Treasuries, U.S. treasuries and dollars are what, what's considered a risk-free asset. Um, and so that's kind of where we've been for the last um, 50 years. August of last year was the 50-year anniversary of, of Nixon taking us off of that, that gold standard. Um, and, and since then, um, we've, like I said, basically been in this free-floating period, as he calls it, quote, outside money. Um, and he says that now, today, we've just witnessed the end of this current monetary regime. And so the dollars and the U.S. treasuries are what, like I said, they consider risk-free. And so nations around the world hold these. They're considered risk-free because the United States would never default on their debt. They would just print more dollars. Now, they would pay you back the debt. Of course, they'd pay you back with devalued dollars. So even though you get all the, if you gave them, let's say, a million dollars, you get your million dollars back. But unfortunately, those million dollars only buys you half a million dollars worth of goods and services. But that's a, another topic for another day. Um, but they were, they were risk-free, right? So I could, I, I could hold my money, my reserves, if I was a nation like China or Germany or France or Russia, I could hold my reserves, my savings account in these risk-free assets, treasuries and dollars. And I know they're risk-free because, as I said, the government would never default on that. Well, a lot of people didn't really think about until a week ago that the government might actually seize it. <laughs> like freeze your bank accounts and not give it back to you. And so that's exactly what he said. He said that uh, Pozar marks the end of the current monetary regime as the day the G7 nations, G7 is the seventh largest nations in the world, as the day the G7 nations seized Russia's foreign exchange reserves following the latter's invasion of Ukraine. What had previously been thought of as a risk-free became a risk-free no more as non-existent credit risk was instantly substituted for a very real confiscation risk. So a lot of people, like I said, thought, well, I'm never going to lose this money because I know the, the U.S. would just print more money to give it to me, so it's risk-free. But what nobody accounted for is that the government would actually just steal it from you. And that's exactly what happened. Um, a very real risk because it just happened. Now we saw we saw them um, stealing money, freezing money from Canadians and truckers and people that donated to that. But then it happened to Russia, and that just pushed the U.S. into, or not the U.S., the world into a brand new monetary system. He says, "What occurred surely isn't lost on China." And Pozar sees the People's Bank of China, the PBOC, faced with two alternatives to protect its interests. 
What's China going to do? They have two alternatives. One, either sell treasury bonds to buy Russian commodities or do its own quantitative easing, which is to print their own currency to buy Russian commodities. Hmm, what should they do? Should they sell their U.S. Treasury bonds, dump them into the market, which would not be good for the United States, let's just say that. It wouldn't actually be that good for China either. If they dumped them onto the market, they became worthless. They'd also kind of be shooting themselves in the foot. Or they can print their own currency to buy Russian commodities. But either way, what he's saying is that they want to get out of the treasury bonds and buy Russian commodities. Again, their, their oil, their natural gas, their, their minerals like nickel, uh, steel, etc. Um, he says, Pozar expects both scenarios to mean higher yields and higher inflation in the West. Pozar concluded his note with a comment about Bitcoin saying he expects it, uh, it to benefit, but only if it, quote, still exists. Well, we know that Bitcoin can't be killed. <laughs> Uh, a government may may try to ban it and make it where you can't use it, but they can't stop it. And so since it will still exist, then he expects it to benefit. So Bitcoin being a big beneficiary of this, um, and the, the risk is the dollar. The dollar is going to be dying. Um, and when I say it's dying, it means it's going to continue to lose purchasing power, which means inflation, means prices are going up. So expect gases to go up, expect food to go up, expect your dollar to go down, and expect Bitcoin to do better. That's what Pozar said. Um, you're, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about the intersection of politics, finance, and technology. We're talking about the decentralized revolution. We're looking at it from a geopolitical scale. Now, um, this is only the tip of the iceberg. I want to talk about something so much bigger when I get back. Um, a lot more to go. Don't go away. I'll be right back. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at legalshield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for for complete terms. All right, welcome back. You're listening to the Mark Moss Show, and we're talking about talking about the world changing right before our very eyes. Of course, we talk about each and every week the decentralized revolution. We're talking about the intersection of politics, finance, and technology. We're talking about the way this is changing the world. Now, um, if you're not paying attention, you get caught off sides. It could be very bad for you. And if you are paying attention and you're prepared, it could be very good for you. Now, depends on depending on which side you end up on, it's entirely up to you. Now, you're doing the most important step, which is listening to me talking to you. I'm trying to give you the, the education. I'm trying to give you the insight, the perspective that you need to make sense of all this because it is a... Um, it's a rapidly moving situation as we speak. Now, I was talking about before the break... A previous Fed and uh, Federal Reserve and Treasury insider, Zoltan, um, was talking about how the entire global financial system just got reset right before our very eyes. It happened in 1944 um, under the Bretton Woods Agreement. It happened in 1971 when President Richard Nixon severed the entire world from the gold system. And for the last 50 years, it's been uh, a free-floating fiat money um, system based off of U.S. Treasuries. But the United States decided to torpedo, send a torpedo right into their hold, their stranglehold on the world's reserve system when they decided to steal 
Russia's money. You know, um, I talked about this on my YouTube channel, uh, Mark Moss, and um, I got comments like, oh, Mark, you're like a, you're a Russian asset. You're promoting Russia. And I mean, that couldn't be anything further from the truth. I'm certainly not doing that. But when you try to weaponize the U.S. dollar, um, you know, things happen. As I talk about all the time, right? You can choose to ignore reality, but you can't ignore the consequences of reality. So when you weaponize the dollar and you turn it against sovereign nations and you steal their money, when you, when you turn it against people and steal their money, there's going to be a reaction. I'm not saying I'm uh, for that, but what do you expect the truckers in Canada or Russia to do? I mean, they're just going to go shrivel up in a hole and die? No, I mean, they're going to continue to figure out a way to work outside of the dollar system. And so... Um, you know, I'm certainly not a, a Russian asset or, or uh, I'm certainly not encouraging Russia to go to war. I certainly am not a fan of war, nor do I uh, want to see anybody hurt with violence or death through war. Um, but it's, it's important to understand what's going on because, like I said, this has massive implications for the way that the world financial system changes. And something that I've been talking about even bigger than that, um, I made a video on my YouTube channel and it was like um, the first thing that is lost in war. And the first thing that's lost in war is truth. And when truth is lost, we lose trust. And the thing with trust is that once trust is gone, like it just doesn't come back. If you've ever had a situation with a business partner or a spouse or something like that, uh, you might know what I'm talking about. And, and in the beginning, there's like this doubt, right? And maybe, maybe you're scared of this, finding out the reality. But once you find out the bad news and the trust is gone, it's gone. And that's exactly what we're seeing happen all over the world, right? So when the United States seized uh, Russia's bank accounts, it was supposed to be a risk-free asset, um, it showed the world they can't trust the United States. Now, you could just say, well, but that's because Russia was a bad actor, and as long as the rest of the world doesn't act in bad faith, they don't have to worry about it, right? Well, you could say the same thing about the Canadian truckers when the single mother gave 50 bucks to the trucker campaign at the time when she gave that it was perfectly legal to do that one of my friends in the Bitcoin space um, uh, after uh, the government um, seized the 10 million dollars that was given to GoFundMe in a perfectly legal way uh, a perfectly legally protected um, assembly um, with a legally protected GoFundMe um, and then they seized it, I might say illegally. Um, then people started donating to Bitcoin. And, and I know somebody who was uh, involved in helping set that up at the time, perfectly legal. And he's now facing serious implications. As a matter of fact, he has a $300 million lawsuit slapped against him because of that. And at the time, it was perfectly legal. And the reason why I say that is because if you're saying in your own mind, listening to me going, yeah, but Russia's a bad actor. They deserve to have their bank accounts frozen. Well, Who's to say who a bad actor is? Now you say, oh, but Mark, Mark, of course, uh, someone who's uh, uh, someone who's doing child exploitation, that's certainly bad. We can all agree on that. Sure, we can all agree on that. But there's things that we can't all agree on. And so then who makes that decision? Where does that line um, get defined? And who moves that line? So back to the Canadian thing, at the time, what they were doing was perfectly legal and protected under their constitution. Only later... Did they pass a law to say that it was not legal? And now they're saying all those people that did those things are now um, violating some sort of uh, policies or laws or whatever. 
And so while you may say, yeah, Russia's a bad actor, and I'm not saying they're not, what I'm saying is at, at uh, any time you go against the regime, you're a bad actor. And that, uh, that's, that, that's, that's uh, a dangerous thing. But more importantly, the point I'm making here is that trust is also lost. Now, trust is a key ingredient in a stable and peaceful economic system. We need trust. Without trust in this world, <laughs> we're, we're uh, in anarchy, right? I need to trust the other driver uh, on the road doesn't run his car into me. I need to trust the person making my food didn't put poison in it. I need to trust my bank account doesn't put a bun- bunch of fake charges like Wells Fargo paid the largest fine in history. I need to trust that the Federal Reserve doesn't print a bunch of money and devalue my currency. But of course, we can't trust those institutions. But it's the most important ingredient. How can we work together if we can't trust each other? When the United States decides to freeze and seize money held in their reserve accounts by countries they don't like, it shows that other, can't, other countries can't trust the United States to custody their own money. Right? Even worse, it allows doubt to creep into their minds. Right? Other countries are watching going, well, shoot, I mean, if they can do it to them, certainly they can do it to us. And once you start going down that route, once that trust is lost, it doesn't come back. Super, super important, um, which is why the entire world's pivoting to this commodity-based system because we can trust commodities. If I have the oil, if I have the gold, then I have it, right? So it's an important thing to understand. Now, there was an article that came out on Al Jazeera, which you might say, Mark, why are you reading Al Jazeera? Well, sometimes you have to read international news to try to get a better understanding of what's going on. Um, you know, you might have heard that there's three sides to any story. There's your side, my side, and there's something in the middle. And so you need to get out of the U.S. mainstream news sometimes. And Al Jazeera says, Russian sanctions could drive more people to crypto, an analyst says. So this analyst, according to a Pew Research Center, 16% of Americans have dabbled in trading, using, and investing in cryptocurrencies. But that figure is likely to rise considerably. Um, Ran Nooner is the host of CNBC's Crypto Trader. He told Al Jazeera, I think we may refer to 2022 as the year of the big catalyst for crypto because what governments did is actually to force adoption, he said. He went on to say, they put people in a position where they had no choice but to flee to the other system. That's what I was saying before, like with Canada or Russia. What are they going to do? Just go go into a hole and die? No, they, they still need to live. And so they're just forced to go into another system. It says what governments did, uh, the U.S. and its allies have imposed sanctions on Russia. Obviously, we know that. Um, the world's largest credit card networks, Visa and MasterCard, and Internet paid payments like uh, PayPal, announced over the weekend they are suspending services in Russia. That means that credit and debit cards issued by Russian banks will no longer work outside of Russia. So... Nooner said that, quote, Russians that are living in the U.S. but have bank accounts in Russia have had their credit cards cut off. Essentially, people are forced onto the alternative financial system. And that, of course, like I said, is cryptocurrencies. That's the big beneficiary. Everyone's moving over to that. The majority of the digital coins trading is done on a peer-to-peer basis. There's no middleman, unlike with banks, um, where banks can just decide to shut off your payments. And that's exactly what's happening. So we're going to talk about this boost in sanctions, what's going to happen. And then I want to talk about a Bitcoin prediction by somebody you might care to hear about where we think the price of Bitcoin could go because of this. I got a lot more to cover. Uh, You're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about the decentralized revolution, the intersection of politics, finance, and technology. Of course, we're talking about Bitcoin. 
specifically talking about how it's going to continue to grow because of the sanctions. Um, and like I said, I want to tell you some of the predictions of where it can go. I got a lot more to cover, so don't go away. I'm going to be right back. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. All right, welcome back. You're listening to The Mark Moss Show, and we're talking about the decentralized revolution. (laughs) We're talking about the way that uh, politics and technology and finance are all coming together right now, smashing together in a collision course uh, to change the world as we know it. Of course, I've been talking about this uh, a lot. I've made, uh, I've done, I've done several talks talking about the three revolutionary cycles that are converging right now, a political cycle, a financial cycle, and technological revolution cycle. Um, If you want to know about that, you can just, uh, Go on to YouTube and search uh, Mark Moss, um, three, three Revolutionary Cycles. Um, you could search uh, The Battle for the Fate of Humanity. Listen to some podcasts that I've been on talking about that. Um, but it's really those three things that are coming together that are changing the world as we know it. Um, and it's happening really fast. I mean, it's happening uh, faster than we can think. And so uh, before the break, I was talking about um, this um, article on Al Jazeera that says that uh, Russian sanctions could drive more people to cryptocurrencies. And uh, they were talking from Rand Nooner. He's a host of CNBC's uh, crypto show. And uh, he said that, um, quote, Russians that are living in the U.S. but have bank accounts in Russia had their credit cards cut off. Um, and because of this, it's going to force these people into a alternative financial system is what he said. Uh, and that's exactly what's happening. Um, there's an analogy here, and it's the difference of a centralized database versus a decentralized database or a decentralized platform versus a centralized platform. Um, and so like a, a centralized exchange like Coinbase or Binance or Kraken or Gemini, um, it's a central database owned by a centralized entity, and they uh, are regulated by central governments. And as a matter of fact, they were um, ordered by the government in the United States to ban all Russian users, um, not just sanctioned individuals from their platforms, but everybody in Russia. And so Coinbase announced earlier this week that it had blocked 25,000 Russian-linked cryptocurrency addresses. The platform said the addresses were linked to Russian individuals or entities it believed to have engaged in illicit activity. Well... Um, so first of all, that's not Bitcoin. <laughs> Bitcoin is a decentralized network. Bitcoin cannot censor anybody. Bitcoin sees everybody on the network exactly the same. So it's not Bitcoin or it's not cryptocurrency. What it is, is it's the platform itself, Coinbase. Coinbase was able to do that. Um, so it's a big difference of that. The analogy would be like Gmail versus email. So Google could block certain addresses um, at the application level. But email uses a protocol called SMTP. And so that, that's an open source protocol. That's how the email gets routed around. And so um, anybody could use the SMTP protocol to send email, but some of us prefer just to use Gmail because it's easier. So while Gmail, a centralized um, application, could block certain email addresses, the SMTP email protocol 
still works. It can't do that. So that's kind of one way to look at that. Um, but just know that these centralized entities can and will freeze your assets at any time if a country asks you to do that. And uh, same with your NFTs. We saw last week the world's largest NFT marketplace, OpenSea, reportedly removed Iranian users from its platform. And again, if you move them off, what are they going to do? They're not going to just go away and die. They're going to just find another way to do it. Um, but like I said, the, the point of this article was saying that the sanctions um, are probably going to be this massive catalyst of pushing people over into Bitcoin. It says sanctions only work if people are using your currency. <laughs> Duh, right? Sanctions only work if people are using your currency. If they're not, then what good are those sanctions going to do? It says if Russia and China decide that they're going to use Beijing's digital central bank digital currency or Moscow decides to create its own or they decide to trade in gold, then sanctions aren't going to matter. The sanctions only work on the U.S. dollar reserve system or on the SWIFT system, but if they work outside of that system, they do absolutely nothing. And so a lot of people listening, you know, and I've gotten comments um, that said, but don't you think they should sanction Russia? Well, maybe. That's a complicated issue. Um, as I've said before, nothing, um, nothing is without risk. Everything has trade-offs. And um, the ability to sanction a nation is brand new. I mean, it's, it's, it's only been, you know, in the last 50, 60 years that this is even possible. For all of humanity, it wasn't. Um, and you might be able to make an argument that it's actually done way more harm than it's done good. Now, I'm, might be, <laughs> I might be on my own here, but I tend to think that we get along better when we cooperate instead of trying to force or impose our will on people. I think that uh, through the carrot, we can do more than we can with the stick. Um, and at the end of the day, like I said, everything has un unintended consequences. So, um, you know, when we were able to control the system, now we're having a system where we've kicked everybody out of the party and we're the only ones left. And so well, we'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting. Like I said, there's uh, days where decades seem to happen, and that's exactly what we're witnessing. Now, I, uh, on top of that story, um, as this uh, sanctions on Russia probably are going to lead to more people using cryptocurrency, what's next for Bitcoin's prices? Well, a lot of people want to know. Now, I, am, I for one, am not big on predictions. I think it's much easier to understand the future, like the far out future than the near future. So well, if you want to know what's if you want to ask me, where do I think Bitcoin will be at the end of the, the month, or by the summer, or even by the end of the year, it's a lot harder to answer that. If you ask me where I think Bitcoin could be in the next five years, I feel a little bit more confident about that. Um, so you know, judging the future specifically timing. So it's like, I, I think I can give you a price target. And actually, there's an old saying, I should have looked it up. Um, I can give you the price target or I can give you the time, but I can't give you both together. So something like that. So I could tell you where I think the price of Bitcoin gets to, but I can't tell you when it will get there. <laughs> That's basically what that statement means. But some people try. Um, some people are wrong. <laughs> most, most are wrong. Um, but um, there was an article that came out um, of somebody trying and it was, let's see here, it was, uh, it was someone who used to work under the um, Trump administration for a little while. His name is uh, Scarmucci, <clears throat> Anthony Scarmucci. 
And uh, I think he ran the comms communications for the White House at the time. And uh, he also runs some big hedge fund or Wall Street fund as well. And he says that he thinks that we'll get to $100,000 Bitcoin and then uh, in the next, I think, year and a half. And that will get to $500,000 Bitcoin in the next three years. Um, you know, the $100,000 one uh, in the next year, like I said, is a, is a much harder one to understand. I feel much better about the $500,000 target over the next couple of years, which I think is, is doable. And I think that's something that we'll see. But of course, I can give you the price target, or I can give you the time, but I can't give both of you those together. But that's what Anthony Scarmucci says. And, uh, you know, he... <sighs> His, he's got a voice. Uh, people people respect his opinion. Uh, I'm not saying I agree with it, but that's where he's saying. So um, if Bitcoin gets to 100,000, that's a more than 100% increase from here, which is a pretty good dang return. I think Bitcoin can get to 500,000 over the next couple of years. That's a, about a 12x from here, which is insane and amazing. Um, and the best way to take advantage of that is to just start buying. Just buy on a weekly basis. Just buy a little bit each week. Um, you know, some people want to try to time the market. Should I buy right now or should I wait? Should I wait for the price to dip? The problem is you don't know when the top of the market or the bottom of the market is until you're looking backwards on it. And so that's probably why one of the best ways to get into Bitcoin is just to start buying on a weekly basis, just dollar cost averaging in. You're listening to The Mark Moss Show. I'm talking about Bitcoin, the decentralized revolution, and the way the world is changing, and it's changing fast. Thanks for listening. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning, is connecting with people. In an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., 
We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.